Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. Good morning, Hill City. All right, this is our third week in Ephesians. If you're new with us. So the book of Ephesians is the Apostle Paul reading, writing to the church at Ephesus. And not only for the church at Ephesus, but if you've ever read Revelation, you'll notice seven churches in the beginning, the churches of Asia. This letter would have been meant for not only Ephesus, for those Ephesian Christians, but for that whole Asian uh, uh, space there that we think of as Turkey now. And last week, if you remember, Brad talked about chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. And it was this long run-on sentence. It's almost like in Greek. Paul didn't even know how to put a period there. It's the longest sentence in the Bible in Greek. And this week, it's the second longest. It's these just long run-on sentences. And you have to read them over and over and over to really get it. But the one main message last week, and we're going to kind of connect these two before we get started are the blessings that we have, that the Ephesian Christians had, in Christ. All the truths of what they've been given in Christ. And so the connector for this week is, here on the first slide, is Paul is going to pray. He's praying that the Ephesian Christians would have a full experiential knowledge. Now, in American Christianity, I have to put the word experiential in here. You do understand that in this, in this writing, in this epistle, the original hearers or readers, they wouldn't have had to have experiential. Why do I have to throw it in today? Because a long time ago, for some reason, we started thinking sometimes that intellectual knowledge equates to experiential knowledge, and it doesn't, does it? The gospel for so long... People were told, if you just know, if you just believe, I digress and we move on. That he would pray, was praying for them that they would have a full experiential knowledge of what they had in Christ, of the truths and the blessings of. That's going to be the connector. All the things we, we learned last week, all those blessings in Christ, Paul is going to remember the Christians that he spent time with, two and a half years. And he's going to say, I'm going to pray those truths and those blessings over your life that they continue. So that's the connector. The action initiative for this week, here it is. Because how many of you have ever just been at church, and maybe someone else's fault, but probably most likely ours, yours, mine, is we leave and we think, oh, that was good. Now what? Like, I don't know if anybody ever told me, like, like this is what I want you to leave and do. This is what we're going to do. Paul is doing what in this passage that we're going to talk about today? He's praying for them. I think it would be appropriate that we, we pray for one another. So, let me see hands, raised high, city group leaders. Awesome, a ton of you. You know what we're going to do? You're like, I didn't get the memo. Yeah, this is the memo. We're going to pray this passage, these truths over our people this week. How many of you, how many of you SALT co-leaders? Guess what you're going to do? 
you're going to pray these truths, this passage, over the people you have influence. How many parents? How many of you parents, you feel like you end up praying the same 100 words every day for your kids, and it feels stale? Here's something new. Elders in here, raise your hand. I know we have a few. The elders are going to be praying this over Hill City today and all throughout this week. We're going to pray for one another. Let me just tell you something. I think everyone in here is heavily vested in Hill City being a powerful influence for the kingdom of Christ in Springfield and throughout in the future. We don't get even close to being there without prayer. We have to be a church that is steeped in prayer. So please, stand with me for the reading of God's word. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, and not only in this age, but also in the age to come that he has put all things under his feet and gave him as the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That is God's word. Please be seated. In verse 15, he starts out for this reason. And if you've been reading through Ephesians like we've asked you to, you notice he does this about three or four times in Ephesians. It's how he launches into a new section. He says, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love towards all the saints. So this is about seven years. Paul is about seven years removed from all the two and a half years that he spent in Ephesus. Listen, this is the longest that he spent anywhere on, in his travels. He loved the Ephesians so much. In fact, in Acts chapter 19, that talks about the Ephesians, you go to the next chapter, Acts chapter, Acts chapter 20, and he calls the Ephesian elders to himself a few miles south when he's traveling, and he pours out his heart to them about how to be good shepherds, how to be good pastors. That's what elders are. And you see how much he loves them. He spent so much time with them. And this is about seven years removed for that. And in verse 16, he says, I do, not give th- do, do not give, I do not cease or stop to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Listen, praying for one another and how to pray for others is a constant struggle in my life. How about you? Listen, setting time aside in my busy schedule, in my narcissistic way of thinking, my selfish pride, it's always hard to pray for one another. Because I always want people praying for me. 
The more we mature in Christ, the more we set time aside, the more it becomes a priority to pray for one another. Listen, I'm just going to tell you, if you went through this week, if you went through the last two weeks, if you went through the last month, and you don't have at least like a, a little bit of a journal or a mental journal, people that you're praying for, you are living in sin. When I go those periods of time, and I'm selfish, and I'm not just intentionally praying for others, it is sin in my life. Paul just says, listen, I'm going to make it a priority. I always, I don't stop, I pray for you. So today what we're going to do is just in remembrance for all of us so that we can think about those that we have influence over, think about those friends, think about the community we have here. How many of us, we are so blessed to have this faith community, right? I don't know for you, but I don't know in my life, I don't know how I would have made it through without fellow Christians, without friends, without communities of faith like this. But it is tough. Some of you are like, man, you came right out of the gate. Sin, yeah, it's sin. It's sin to be selfish. The Christian life is praying for one another. This passage is going to revolve around two words. I really do believe this. If we can get two words, we understand what's going on in this whole passage. It is Paul asking for supernatural power to be given from God to give them something. The spirit of wisdom and knowledge in Christ. And that is all based on what God already gave in his son. Paul says, God, give them this. Based on what you already gave in Christ. This is always the foundation. It's the power for this. See, we like to read about the blessings and everything last week, but it's all based on what he already gave, past tense. Those two words, you'll see them in the text, and this, it, it's almost kind of like it, this text revolves around give and gave. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He's not asking that they get the spirit of salvation. He's saying, I want the spirit's influence on your life. You don't always, we don't always want to do what the Spirit wants us to do. Paul is saying, I'm praying for them that they would have the Spirit's influence and power in their life. They would commune with their Spirit. Wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know. Now let me ask you a question. What we just read, what does this imply? What does it imply? Paul is saying, I want to give supernatural wisdom and knowledge to them. That's what I want, God, please. I'm praying that you would give them this. What does that imply? That they need it. That we need it. That they're lacking. We need divine experiential awareness of God, we need supernatural enlightenment because we're lacking. You say, okay, well, I don't fully understand that. He uses the phrase here, the eyes of your heart. It's a figure of speech, and he loads it up with two, that you may know. 
Why? Why in the world? Because we have a need for enlightenment. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things. Listen, that is not hyperbole. There is a spirit, a being that dwells this earth, who is called the God of this world. We know him as Satan, the devil. Do you understand that he's saying here, our heart, our mind, our will, and our emotion. If you think about heart, it's not talking about the part that pumps blood. It's your mind, will, and emotion. It's your innermost you. It's the part of us that lives for eternity. He's saying that is more deceitful than anything. You think, more? what you're telling me that my mind, will, and emotion is more deceitful than Satan. Yes. Why? Because the Bible does. It's not hyperbole. He's not trying to drive home a point just, just, to make, just to make us seem like, oh, man. No, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick or wicked. Listen, this sick right here in Hebrew, this isn't like Omicron Corona. This is like original Corona. All right? This is wicked. That's why a lot of translations translate it wicked. It's not talking about sniffles. It's talking about the deep, dark recesses of sin. It's wickedness. Your mind, your will, and emotion is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? You're like, I don't know, Stephen. I don't know. I think there's good in all people. I just, ah, man, I mean, I know that I'm not the most perfect person, but that doesn't seem like me. So, Long road trip, driving from Maine to, to, uh, to Missouri, I had to have podcasts that just kept me somewhat sane and awake. So one of the ones that I found that I love is Revisionist History by Malcolm Gladwell. Loved his books. I love this. And there was one that just stood out, and it just was amazing. If any of you have ever heard, some of you might read psychology, sociology, called flashbulb memories, and they do studies on flashbulb memories. Now, what this is, something traumatic or something great happens, and they interview people, and then they wait, and they interview them later. Well, the one he was talking about was they used 9-11 because it was such a massive event, tragic event, and basically what it is is you bring someone in after someone like that, and you ask them a series of questions, and they're, they're easy. It's like, okay, where were you when it happened? Okay, who was the first person that you talked to? What did they say? Where, did, where was the first time you, you saw it? And they would just ask a series of these questions. And then they'll come back a year later. The same series of questions. Third, third year, same series of questions. And then they'll skip maybe five, ten years out. And what was amazing to me, I mean, these are like legalized documents, like notarized, stamped, like you give your deposition, you sign your name to it, people 10 years later were arguing that that's not the way it happened. No, 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 that's not how it happened. I remember now. The memory that I have now is more valid than the memory that first week after it happened. It's more valid than the first year after it happened. That's crazy. You must, I mean, you think I'm, I'm exaggerating. I'm not. They will say, you're lying. You retype the document. That's not my signature. I remember it now better than I remembered it back here. Some of you are like, that's, that, that's insane. And those of us that are a little bit older in here say, uh, <laughs> yeah, not so much because I can't remember what happened last week. It's just now catching up to me. Natalia used to always, always, always be right. And now we've gotten to the age where we both can't remember anything. 
we argue, and most of the time we're both wrong. And you think, okay, Stephen, that's memory. I'm a pretty vivid dreamer. Any other vivid dreamers in here? There have been times when I've had dreams. Natalia's done something wrong. Something's happened. I remember one time in particular, something in the dream happened, and I woke up. I was fully conscious. I knew without a shadow of a doubt that I had just woken up from a dream, that what was in my dream, it didn't happen. It wasn't from God. It wasn't something prophetic. It wasn't something revealing something to me. It was a dream. And literally, I kind of scooted over in bed, and I was so angry. I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start an argument. Right now, I'm going to start an argument. And so I kind of nudged over enough to, like, like, try to, like, wake her up without just, like, wham, you know, just, like, I wanted her to wake up and be like, oh, what's wrong? Well, I just had a dream, and I know what you did. You think, how crazy is that? My mind, will, and emotion was getting ready to argue with an outstanding wife about something she hadn't done because I just got so worked up. Anyone else? You wake up and you're terrified. You know it was a dream, but you're terrified for another hour. We, we laugh. How about this one? I think this one hits a little closer to home. Anybody ever know somebody or hear of somebody that did one of those uh, follow-your-heart relationships? You know, we worked in college ministry and young adult ministry for a long time. And I've had a lot of discussions with people. Be like, man, are you sure that that relationship is Yeah, I've just got to follow my heart. I mean, I know it's right. I just know. I love them. I love them. It's just, well, um, I know this is, this is going to be hard for you to hear, but um, they're arrested this week. Oh, no, no, they wouldn't do that. I know this is going to be hard for you to hear, but um, I saw them with someone else. <sighs> they would never. Uh-uh, no. Um, I know this is going to be hard for you to hear, but, um, yeah, they're using crystal meth. <laughs> no, I think those are pop rocks. <laughs> we laugh because, well, we know it's true. Just follow your heart. Oh, you mean the one that's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked? Who can understand it? Should I go on? We know that even after we get saved, after we pass from death to life, listen, it's the Holy Spirit's inside of us. Now we have a fighting chance because the Spirit wars against our flesh. It wars against the sin in us. Before that, we have no hope. We have no chance, as we'll see next week. The heart's deceitful above all things that desperately wicked who can know it. Why in the world is he praying for them to have a supernatural enlightenment? Because we need a supernatural enlightenment every single day we wake up. From prayers of our fellow saints, from the word of God. We need it. Because it doesn't matter how mature of a Christian you are, you wake up every day and you still have your mind, will, and emotion that wants to go away from God because of sin and the corruption of sin. So many times we can just think through our life and we see those, those deceptions in our life. Jeremiah 17, it follows up verse 9 with verse 10, and it says this, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. You know why? Because we need supernatural intervention with enlightenment, because we need it. 
And all the way through the scripture, it's a pattern that God says, I'm the one that will search the heart. How many of you remember in Hebrews chapter 4 where it says the word of God is quick and powerful and it cuts down to our true being to help us understand evil and good and those things. We need it. And so what he's going to do in the text here, he's going to transition to the amplification of enlightenment. He's not going to just use the word enlightenment. He's going to explain it even more. He's going to amplify it. He says three things. He said, what is the hope? To which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Number one, what is the hope to which he has called you? This combats our lack of purpose. Because we just want to belong. We want to be secure. Every single one of us in here, we want to be secure in our environment. We want to be secure in our relationships. We want to be secure with God. That's what, our, that's what we desire as Christians. And what he says is, he says, I want you to know what the hope is to which he has called you. We are called to belonging. We are called to purpose as Christians. And I think about this in the story of Abram becoming Abraham. You think, okay, a hope to which he has called you, it's this simple. It's like our story personally and collectively, corporately, being like Abram. He was just a guy in Mesopotamia in a town called Ur, and for some odd reason, God called him to start a nation who would be his beloved people, who Christ would come through. He was no one. He was no one until God called him and gave him hope. It's just like us. You're going to see next week when Brad teaches that we were once aliens from the blessings of God, from the salvation of God, and we had no hope. And he's praying for them, I want you to know the hope to which he has called you. Because it gives us purpose, it gives us security, and it gives us belonging. In a world when we're insecure, sometimes we lack purpose. And we don't see that. And listen, this is so critical for this next generation. I have a very good friend who runs a counseling center. And if he could sum up one thing from maybe like high school students today to young married, kind of that generation. He said it's so weird. He said previously counseling, people that he, didn't, he couldn't put his finger on it. But they kept coming and they were, they were anxious. They were the most, most anxious generation that, he could, that, that really is on the, on the books that you can remember. They just have this... This deep existential crisis of why do I exist? What's my purpose? It's so indicative, it's characteristic of this generation. The generation that Hill City says, this is going to be a priority for us. Why do we need the purpose? Why do we need to understand the hope to which he has called us? Because as Christians... We need not have existential crises. We know what our purpose is. If some of you are like, okay, I'm new here. I, I, I feel like I'm behind, behind the eight ball. What is it? Love God. Love others. And make disciples. That's your purpose. What about being a good person? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Love God. Love others. And make disciples. That's our purpose. That's what we do. Number two, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? 
This is combats our lack of worth. Now listen, if you read it very carefully, it's not talking about our inheritance in Christ. It's much more different than that. Even though, even though in Brad's passage last week it talked about this, this is not our inheritance in Christ, but as God's inheritance. You're like, what's it talking about? He says, I want them to understand collectively that corporately, made up of persons, individuals, but corporately, that they are God's inheritance. If that doesn't tell you that we're worth something, what, what, that God, and he's always desired that from Genesis, all the rate of Revelation, he's desired that. Let me just read one passage in Revelation chapter 5. It's John bringing us into the throne room of God, into the throne room in the future. And he says this, there's, 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 a, there's a problem, there's a scroll that needs to be opened and no one is worthy. And finally, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, says, I'm worthy. And he stands up and people start praising him. In chapter 5, it says this, it says, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And listen to this next phrase. And by your blood you ransomed or bought people for God. Were purchased. Why? We're his inheritance. We mean not much to him. From Genesis to Revelation, he's always desired a people of God in a people of God that he could dwell with and have communion with. From every tribe and language and people and nation, you have made them a kingdom of priests, precious priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Listen, at Hill City, do you know why we want to be a church in the future that does more with the nations, that love the nations? Listen, this is what God intended, that one day around his throne, living with him for eternity, that all different kinds of people would be around him. The people that he collected, that he called out, and he says they're worth something to me. That's my inheritance. I love them. If you've ever wondered why this universe is so vast... Yet there's one planet that he cares about, and there's one people that he cares about on that one planet. It's this. I don't know why he chose it. I don't know why he did it, but it is us. It's the believers from then until eternity future dwelling with him together. It matters to him. They're the people that he's called out, and that's us, an inheritance to him. He says, I want you to pray that I want you to know the hope to which you've been called. I want you to know what the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints are so that you can have purpose, so that you can have worth. And number three, I want you to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. And this one combats the lack of possibility. I don't know about you, but in my Christian life, Certain things have come up, and I just think, that's impossible. Whether it's a besetting sin, a sin that you've tried and tried and tried, you just think it's impossible. Some of you, you think, okay, I think moving forward into being even a city group leader, it's, it's impossible. Our, our house isn't big enough. We don't have time. I just, 
I wouldn't know how to facilitate. I don't know how to. For some of you, it's even getting involved in some sort of ministry. God's just called you and said, I, I think this is for you. And you've just thought, it's impossible. I can't do it. There's some of you in here that you've been hurt beyond what some of us will ever know. The pain that's been inflicted upon you and the abuse. And you think there's absolutely no way I can forgive the person or persons that did this to me. It's, it's, it's impossible. Some of you are in here right now and you're still wrestling. You've never passed from death to life. And you're considering it. You kind of like your community, you know, and you just think, I just can't see myself in that life. I just think it's impossible. I just, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough for that. All these impossibilities. He says, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? This combats our lack of possibility. In verse 19, it says, according, all of this, these three things that he's amplified, it's possible because of this. He says, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the bed. You don't understand when we say, whatever it is, impossible. I don't think I can, impossible. I don't think God is calling, impossible. Listen to what we're, listen to what we're saying. The power that spoke this universe into existence, the power that spoke a dead being and raised him from the grave for the salvation of all peoples, that power isn't powerful enough for me to do this. It's impossible. And you think in more human terms, I just always think of the, of the story of Sarah and what she went through. Sometimes we remember her for her stupid decision with Hagar. And we, we think, well, that was unwise, really under, not understanding fully the, how the whole thing played out and thinking, yeah, she waited 16 years to do that with Hagar. Yeah, I would have waited 16 minutes for an alternative plan. Genesis 18 says, and the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Well, because it's been a bunch of years since she told me I was going to have a kid. That's why she laughed. Shall I surely bear a child since I'm old? In verse 14, Genesis chapter 18 says this, is anything too hard for the Lord? And what we forget, Sarah had to wait 24 years just for that promise. She waited 25 to get Isaac. And God just reminds her by saying, is anything too hard for the Lord? It's not impossible. You think, I just can't forgive them. It's possible. I just can't step into ministry. It is possible. I don't know if I can witness at work. It's possible. I don't know if I can start a group, maybe like a D group with just two or three people. It's possible. I don't know if I can go and spend time in Italy for a couple weeks. It's possible. I don't know if I can break a besetting sin that just has held me in bondage forever. It is possible because nothing is too hard for the Lord. It's possible. This breaks our lack of possibility. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus looked at him and said, yeah, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. For some of you, you're like, well, I've tried and I've tried and I've tried in regards to even a besetting sin. Maybe what you've done in the past 
isn't working, how about trying to get in a community of people and confessing and letting them pray for you and taking the word of God and going to war with that sin? That's a pretty good plan. That's a biblical plan. Well, that means I'd have to be vulnerable. I'd have to confess. Yes. Why? This letter that we're going through, it wasn't written to individual Christian Ephesians. It was written corporately. You understand, most of the New Testament, they write it corporately. We're so individualistic in the American society that we forget. We forget how many things we need to share how many things we need to confess with one another. How much we need to be vulnerable with one another. And you know why? Because this week, even as an example, we're going to pray for one another that divine enlightenment would come into our dark hearts and do supernatural things so that we can be conformed to the image of Christ. According to the working with his great might, what he worked in Christ, and he raised him from the dead, and he seated him in his right hand in heavenly places. Now listen to this. We're going to see this in about five more chapters in Ephesians. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the age to come. Listen, we're going to see this at the end of Ephesians, this same language. He starts it here. He's going to finish a thought in Ephesians. It's like a bookend of this thought. Listen, Jesus Christ is exalted above everything. He's more power than any, any, any dominion, any king, any power, anything. And in chapter 6, we'll study it at the time. In verse 10, he says, finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Anybody know what comes next? Put on the whole armor of God. Why? Because we live in a world where we just keep getting attacked constantly. Hmm, I wonder what they appeal to. I wonder what Satan uses. I wonder what his forces use. I wonder what our flesh draws to. Our mind, will, and emotions are being battled. In Galatians chapter 5, the Spirit of God wars against the sin inside of us. And when we live in the Spirit... It gives the spirit control to kill those things, to possess those things, to conquer those things. Two major doctrines, two key doctrines in the Bible are talked about here, and sometimes we don't talk about them all. Two key doctrines, the exaltation of Jesus Christ and the consummation of all things when all things go back to the perfect way that he always had intended for them to be. You think the exaltation of Christ, okay, yeah, he gets it, victory. You don't understand, in a shame-honor culture, like the days of the ancient Near East in the Old Testament, in the Greco-Roman world in the New Testament, they would have understood and they would have lived in a shame-honor culture. They still exist today in the majority world. It's so different. It's not individualistic. It's more familial. It's more collective. It's more corporate. All right? You bring shame upon your whole family when you do something wrong. You bring shame upon your whole village when you do something wrong. But listen, the exaltation of Christ is the key doctrine. We heard about it all the way through Hebrews when we studied Hebrews. Why? It's because Jesus Christ finally is getting the glory that he deserved when he had to go through so much suffering. And it's so amazing to think one day... And the consummation of all things, he will finally get all of it, the honor and the glory that he deserves. And in verse 22, it says, and he put all things under his feet and gave, gave him, Jesus Christ, as head over all things to the church, which is his body. 
the fullness of him who fills all in all. I had a thought. Some of you might remember this from Colossians chapter 1 when we studied Colossians. It says this in verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, Christ. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. The end of this passage talks about Christ being given as the head of the church. Like he's the foundation. He's the one that leads us. You understand the elders of this church, they are leading you, but they follow Christ. Christ is the head. He's the one out front that we follow. And I thought that in everything he might be preeminent, and it just kind of stuck with me. When will he be preeminent in our prayer? Not going and asking him for something, but preeminent in our prayer and praying for one another this week. Listen, this week, the people that you have influence over, the people that you do community with, this is what you're going to pray for them. God, supernaturally give them purpose. Remind them of their purpose. We so, we so easily forget the hope to which you called them. Remind them. Supernaturally give it to them. I pray this over their life, that you remind them of their purpose. As a Christian, following Christ, Father, I pray, I pray, I pray for them that you give them that security and that belonging that comes from the worth, that they would understand how valuable they are and how valuable they are to make up a body who's valuable to Christ as his people. Little C, and also in the big C, the big church, that you would help them understand that they are extremely valuable and it would, it would, it would change how they live. It would redirect their thinking. Their passions would change. I pray that for them. I pray it over their life. I beg you, God. I remember them. They're a beloved brother or sister in Christ. I want you to do that for them. Father, I pray for them. That they would understand the immeasurable power of God in their life the power of God so that they can be more like Christ, but so they can help others be more like Christ. Father, all these blessings that we have in Christ, I pray them on their life. I will spend this week and hopefully forevermore, this will be a specific prayer for them. I will pray it over their life. I will be faithful to do that. Some of you, you're like, you know, okay, sounds good. I've tried this before. Some of this comes down to being very, very practical. Set reminder on your phone. If you're old like me, set a three by five note card on your dash or in front of your computer where you see it all week. In our city group, we have cards each week and we, we write someone's name down and specifically pray for that person. Those just build up and they accumulate right in front of my computer. I just pray for them. Some of you... If you think this thought, let me help you. From years of ministry and years of helping people, you're like, yeah, who's praying for me? For one week, I ask you, just put that thought aside and go, who can I pray for? A lot of times, the needs that you think, well, no one's pouring in me, no one's investing in me, no one's, listen, a lot of times that is a need deep down for you to do that to someone else. And when you start investing and praying for someone else, 
all of a sudden that disappears. I can't explain it, but it's how God created us and it's a void that he has. If you're gonna serve communion today, please, please make your way down. As we take communion today, I want you to remember one thing. Paul is asking that God give the Ephesians, the Ephesian church, these things based on what he already gave. If you're in here today and you're new and you're like, okay, what's going on? This is a time in our services where we celebrate and we remember what he gave. We, We don't dwell over here much. We try to dwell here and remember what God sacrificed in Jesus Christ coming for us. I pray that this week would be a week that we pray for one another like we've we've never done before. So if you would, please stand. And when they get to their stations, come take communion.